What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Jotel Artcast. Uh, thanks for joining me again on another awesome episode. Uh, today we have on some of the UK represent. Um, we've uh, kind of wanted to get more and more uh, representation from the UK and games industry, especially. And today we are talking to Mr. Alex Beddows. What's happening, Alex? Hey, dude. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. Um, yeah, we done a bit of a kind of pre-chat before we started recording, but uh, yeah, like the I think the amount I just filled my brain in the last like ten minutes has been astounding. Like the the things you know already that I'm just like feeding it. This is why I love the podcast, right? This is because you you talk to people from these walks of life, you know, from concept to three D and whatever. But then everybody has their own like tool sets and things that work with them, and then you just kind of like pick and choose bits and pieces to like form your own your own style. So like. I can only imagine what it's been like, you know, being in the industry and speaking with people and then having obviously the, the resources you have at the moment, like it just must be like every day must, your brain must be at capacity, like learning from these people, right? Uh, it's, yeah, it's great. Like, cause to be honest, it, I have the, I, I am really lucky to spend as much time speaking to people as I do. Um, I mean, I always have done, even before I signed a podcast, I sat in, uh, you know, web channels and discord, just talking about ideas, um, with people, with artists. So the podcast is like kind of a natural extension of that. It's just, you know, it's interesting when you hear you, you have like five people who have the exact same job title, but they have a completely different perception on game art, on the world, on, you know, uh, disciplines and software. And you're like, it helps you round out you as a person and your perceptions. And it helps you like just be a bit more informed as well, which is probably one I care more about is like just, having a small understanding and appreciation of things I don't necessarily, you know, um, care about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you'll probably look into in your own steam, but then somebody already has done that and then they're feeding that information to you in a condensed and, and friendly way that makes it easier to understand or easy to digest. So I think that's what's good about like networking events in general or podcasts. I mean, like when I initially started the podcast, um, my first experience of this was uh, watching Ash Thorpe interview Mike Hill in the show workshops. And mm. that's why I kind of want to emulate that because even just, you know, Mike was talking about things that even Ash was like, oh shit, like I never really thought about that stuff or thought about that way. Um, so, and then obviously, it obviously was to network me as well and help people uh, understand and, and help students who were listening understand the industry better. Um, but that my learning has just exponentially, you know, increased tenfold over the last couple of years. So Mike was uh, to be fair, just to like, touch on him for a second. He's been yeah. really helpful for me because I. So my friend, this is one thing: speaking to people, making friends. One of a good friend, Kieran yeah. Goodson, um, linked me Mike Hill's talk. Um, he was talking about storytelling and visual metaphors. He did like a was it the Terminator talk? No, he did a. It's a free part one. He did a Batman. And then he spoke about, he mentioned Star Wars and then like Jurassic Park. Oh, right. One of his recent stuff, probably, yeah. But he is, so I've always been like really interested in psychoanalytic thinking anyway. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've been to see like Jordan Pearson live. Um, I watch, I've read up on a lot of like Carl Jung's ideas and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But to hear him like really sort of put it all into context mm-hmm. was really useful for me. So I'm planning my next scene now and I'm like, really focusing on all the sort of visual metaphors and visual storytelling and subconscious ideas and it all came from him like because he just pull it into context so well oh yeah he's good at just 
his, I mean, when I first went, my first initial event was 2016. It was uh, initial workshops in London. And Mike, I never knew who he was at the time, but everyone was like, his talk will be the one to go to. And when I went to his talk, like the the whole hall was like filled with people standing outside. Yeah. And it was his talk on Terminator 2 on basically how the story arc of the hero's journey exists mm-hmm. within James Cameron's work. And I've watched that like so many times now and, and the way he breaks down that process, even the way you now he explains how Jurassic Park also is like, one of the best storytelling methods, uh, you know, of the whole character art as well. So the guy's just on another level. Um, mm. He's one of the guys in the industry that's just like everybody looks up to and everybody has like such fond memories of like, oh, his first talk I went to, or I can remember the last time I spoke to him, he just blew my mind. And um, have you have you met Mike? Have you had a chance to speak no, to him? No, I or? don't. So it's funny actually, I was having this conversation on, uh, on Twitter. It's like, I mm-hmm. have done all of my networking and research and all that sort of stuff it's all come out of my office i don't i haven't been to any of like these sort of networking events my first networking event really was the dynasty meetup which i helped like um co-host and then like gdc this year like that'll be the first time i'm actually going to networking events all the people i know and all the stuff i've like but all the people i've spoken to has just come from speaking to them on the internet which is kind of weird but uh yeah i've never done the whole no, I, I didn't ever see the need to, like, if I could speak to him on Discord or Skype mm. or LinkedIn or whatever it might be, I can get yeah. as much value out of it from there than I can, you know, spend the money going to the events. And also, like, I just wasn't in the position. I was super busy. Yeah. I, I didn't really have the chance to sort of um, slow down to and go to the events. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was lucky. I was at uni at the time, and uh, I think I was watching Anna Hollenreich on Twitch, and she had mentioned she was going to initial workshops. But then from there, I learned about stuff like, you know, IMAG in Paris, Trojan Horse, um, like loads of stuff I've been to now over the last couple of years. Even last year in September, I went to Lightbox in LA um, and got to visit the guys out there and, you know, go visit Riot Studios and Blizzard and meet the guys at Sony. So, like, that's been really interesting, just getting one to one time with people. Um, but yeah, like I've only recently discovered Discord, like because I discovered Dynasty and Experience Points, and um, the community I've actually started building there. Just people like regularly knowing your name, or when you come back in, they're like talking to you how your projects are getting on. Like it's something I've been looking for for ages. Because when I left university, um, I felt like the last year it's been such a lonely and harrowing experience because you're kind of thrown into the wild, um, expecting to be able to you know walk into an industry job you know, as soon as you land. But then for a lot of people, that uh, landscape is quite hostile because so much of it has to be self-learning and self-motivation where a lot of people, you know, when I came from, my understanding going back into uni was that a lot of the things that uni would teach me would prepare me for a job as in most careers. But then of course with games, it's very not the case. Yeah. um, I have thoughts on how universities do things um so do I. <laughs> I, nothing, nothing super positive sometimes well, so, i think yeah. there is also i there's pros and cons to both of them i think yeah but there is there is something i've spoken at length with with some of my close friends about the whole you know you finish uni there's still like you know a good couple of years normally between finishing uni and actually getting into the industry like i think a it's a very small minority who are finishing uni and then walking straight into a job. Um, they are in the minority, but yeah. you know, there's plenty of people who like they finish uni and then they've got like another two, three years of development because you are, you know, you have to wait for the right opportunity to come along. You have been in the right place in your life to do it. Um, so 
yeah, that is something I, I've I've spoken, you know, I do a bit of mentoring on the side and mm-hmm. I speak to a lot of students or people who are post students or post grads and they're like super down on themselves. I'm like, oh God, I didn't get, you know, I haven't, I haven't got a job when I've been out of uni for a year. And I'm like, yeah, that's normal, dude. Like, why don't Get beat yourself up on it, man? <laughs> like, like it's 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 so it's so like this industry is so I don't want to say fragile, but it's it's jobs come and go so quickly, mm-hmm. and you have to it's literally spur the moment, and it, a lot of it's down to knowing people. Like all the opportunities I've had over the past three four years has been from not from me applying. It's been from me knowing somebody, building a relationship, and also my work being you know in a place where they like it. But yep. I think, yeah, I, I it's something I talk about quite a lot. It's, it's it's a long haul game, and people seem to compare themselves to everyone else. And like you, yeah. you are in a you are in a rat race, but you're in a rat race for yourself, man. Like so, mm. getting because the thing is, well, when people when these students start beating themselves up about it, they're like, I'm kind of like, well, you need to have this positive energy to what you're doing because otherwise, you won't enjoy what you're doing, and you put yourself under pressure, and then you don't finish your yeah. projects, and it's like, it's yeah it's bizarre to me you know i i didn't go university i was uh i had a bad you know experience with college i basically was at college and um my lecturer was like trying to get everybody to play call of duty during our final assessments and like he convinced us all to use um udk for like our final major project and then we're like oh dude we're having trouble with this uh with how to he's like i don't know and he just put the alien trilogy on uh, on the screen and watch it and we're like so i basically that was my impression of like higher education so i was like oh, screw this i self-taught myself through college i'll self-teach myself into industry oh, God, um, yeah well you say that i you know up to the age of 22 i was very jaded um <laughs> i was an arrogant little shit i i thought i was i thought i, I was could like you know slamming the industry like oh, i can't believe i'm not getting a, like the job i want because i was doing because i was self-taught i was doing like mobile games you know serious games vr ar not triple a you know uh, for the first few years and it's like i was getting pissy i was like why am i not getting a job man like i can model i can like i can make these things you know these guys it's people are posting on our station i can do that Mm. um and it weren't until i joined the dynasty community really i feel i was probably about 23 Mm. and I'm seeing Jeremy, who's the senior artist, senior environment artist at uh, Massive, streaming mm-hmm. himself learning Unreal and himself learning Unity. And I'm like, oh shit, this guy's got like over 10 years experience and he's still learning and he's still humbling yeah. himself. And I was like, okay, that was a big slap in the face for me that I need to wake up and be humble and, and learn stuff. And also just speak to people in the community. I was like... I put all the senior artists on a pedestal and anyone below that, I, this is like when I was younger, I, was, I pull them like, like that their opinion weren't valid or something. And then yeah. you're speaking in the Discord and you're like, you're seeing juniors or people who are students as well, like make seriously valid points of really good observations. And I'm like, actually, yeah, these guys have something to offer me. It's, I don't need to just only speak to seniors and leads and principals. These guys have yeah. something to offer to me um and that was yeah. just a big wake-up call like from then on i was just sort of like okay i need to seriously humble myself because there are students producing better work than me um yeah i think it's a good thing about this industry is that seniors now i know in studios are seriously looking at junior stuff and being like oh, how did you do that or like can you show me how to use that software like because the guys who are now hungry for it 
who are just like trying to get a job will have you know backfilled their their software and learning requirements way over you know what they actually probably need so when they come into studios everyone's like holy shit you can also draw or you can do this or you can use this piece of software so yeah like it's nowhere i mean when i left my job the worst thing about my job was that the guys who because i was an engineer for the railway yeah never real um but then the guys who've been in the job like 30 years when you try to do anything differently or do anything with like a new perspective that were like like no we've done that this way for like you know 30 years why would we change and that was basically the way i was taught like seniority worked in most companies is that i didn't have a voice i wasn't allowed to have a voice because i was young so that's what obviously disheartened me with industry and made me feel isolated all the time and why i got depressed in my job and why i left um but then of course now in this industry it's the complete opposite right seniors are so much more able to like open their mind and be like oh but why do you think like that like i mean i use this example a lot but when i met rafael grisetti like at thu like in 2018 we just started you know chatting and shooting the shit but then you know it's grew into a, an actual friendship now and you know rafael is like a lead you know character or like an art director now at sony santa monica working on god of war i'm like why does he talk to me like why does he even care who i am but like the guy is so humble it's ridiculous he has time for everybody and like i just i'm thankful that you know the guy talks to me but like even that the stuff he's taught me or the, the opportunities he's given me the last year to work with him like i would have thought that would have never happened you know back in the day in any other industry but because he's just such a nice guy like he just opens his doors to people because he wants other people to help and other people to grow yeah i think there's something to be i don't know i i feel like people do have this perception that the the big names in the industry and this is like this goes for like life business careers people seem to think the successful like just want to hoard their knowledge or hoard their wealth or whatever it might be and mm. i i mean i'm sort of in this position now where i'm like finding young artists and bringing them into like the likes of decade and or like just talking to them and mentoring people there's no better there's no bigger pleasure than like finding a young person with potential and giving them an opportunity and seeing them kill it and then you're like that's oh, yeah. that's like a real pleasure in life and i think most of the big names you know you go through it raf say you know imagine the tour freaks mm. of the world all these kinds of guys mm. josh lynch with his mentorships i imagine yeah. they're all the same you there is a huge delight in seeing young people taking opportunity and absolutely room with it and yeah. i feel as if some people who are earlier in their career or some people who are a bit jaded are like oh yeah they're just up there doing a thing and they get all the opportunities and like screw them guys and i'm like no they they want to help everyone like they want to help young people realize their potential and do great things yeah um, yeah i mean like, even, even the yeah but i was going to say like i mean the, one of the things i find because i've done the podcast for so long now um like people actually emailing me saying that like oh i'm you know i wasn't going to but now i'm going to college for art because of your podcast or like when i was out in la like people were like oh i recognize your voice oh shit i listen to your podcast and i was like floored like who, why the fuck do these people know who I am? But then listening to them be like, oh yeah, man, like I was really down, but you know, like listening to your podcast every month gets me motivated, they want me to go back and do more work. Or there was a guy like posted on Instagram, he was driving from his new job in like, I think Texas to like Washington, but like all the way, he was basically running through my entire back catalog of podcasts. Um, and you could hear me like on his radio while he was driving down like this, this highway in America. And it just floors me to think like, I'm actually helping people in some way. Yeah. I think if I didn't have the podcast, like I I actually think I would have gave up trying up uh, about a year ago because I mean, I don't know. I maybe know I maybe know would have, but I definitely know that the podcast gives me energy I can't get anywhere else because I feel like 
I'm even though I'm not getting a job, even though I'm still struggling to get in the industry, I feel like I'm still doing something positive that's related to the industry that's helping people. I think um it's also interesting, like it's amazing what a good conversation do so I I think conversation and talking is like absolutely vital to as developing as people. You know, you've got yes. to talk about ideas. You've got to have the chance to express ideas and unpack ideas. And, you know, you might be wrong, but the opportunity to actually talk about it and be wrong and then correct it is so helpful. And, like, there's been times where, like, I finish days at work. And so I record podcasts mostly on my Wednesday evenings and I go out Wednesday. And mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll, I'll sometimes, like, before the podcast, I'm like, I really can't be asked for this. Like, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm starting to burn out and I don't need to do the podcast. And then I have right. the podcast and I'm like, I'm just rejuvenated. I'm just so happy at the end of it because I'm like, it's had a really good conversation. I'm amped yep. up again. And I'm like, it's comes from just having healthy, good conversations with good people as well. Like when you right. give someone, I, I think people are just so interested in like, you could take, I could speak to 50 environment artists back to back. Every single one of them will have a slightly different outlook on the world of, about art, about software, the way they tackle problems. And I'm like, we people are just interesting and if you actually listen like what's that there's an old phrase like there's no such thing as a boring person you it, like, i can't remember what it is uh yeah but then even where people have like grew up in different countries or yeah, speak different yeah. languages like that that also informs how they approach industry or learning as well because then even you know i had one person who was talking to me about an, an industry event and he was like yeah i'd really love to get into some of the softwares but i really don't pick up as much because initially when i started learning i couldn't speak english mm-hmm. and i was like oh shit I never thought about that as like a thing that would be a barrier for people because like Raf's the same, like he's trying to do more uh, uh, lessons now in Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, because down in Brazil, there isn't like a lot of learning for industry stuff in that language. Um, and a lot of kids who start can't speak English. So it's like, you know, these things, like we sometimes have the Western world first world problems, like, oh, you know, it's so hard to learn such mm-hmm. and such. And I've got to go through all these tutorials. But then I think a lot of us are lucky that like the bulk of learning in the industry is all based around English. So um yeah like the, even where you grow up can be a factor in this industry yeah i'm quite i find it's, it's funny we're decking, we have a couple of absolute beast brazilian artists and they're like you know, young guys trying to grind to you know move on and do mm. things and it's kind of weird yeah. it's amazing what happens when you're necessity driving yeah like they need to do well because they're trying to get out of situations that they're in in brazil yes. and i'm like it's very interesting to me just seeing these people who have necessity driving them, not just because they want to make art, like they need to do this because they need to move yeah. their lives forward. They want to have a future. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, like, I like even, yeah, I mean, like I have the, I have the biggest first world problem is that, you know, my parents, you know, knew through any kind of badness in their life, but kind of set up this false wall where I was handed most things in my life when I wanted them. So I didn't really have to work towards much in my life. I always kind of had opportunities just given to me. So now the hardest bit is trying to rewire my brain and the fact that I really have to grind and struggle to get where I want to get to now in the industry. Like it's not just going to be handed to me. Because yeah. um, I've done so much networking now that like most people in the industry know my name or know of me. But then at the same time, they don't know me because of my work, right? They just know me because of the podcast or because I was at an event or because I bumped into somebody and chatted with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the struggle now is I need to try and flip it where... I've done enough socializing to last like a lifetime. Now I just need to grind and make my portfolio shine. That's the harder bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I'm from the other side of the spectrum. I mean, I grew up, so when I left college, I was still pursuing like professional rugby. Um, so I was like doing professional rugby. I was also a laborer because rugby doesn't pay great. And then I was doing like, art in the evenings. 
I've always had a kind of ridiculous work ethic to the point where it is kind of it, it sounds like it's a, like a flex and it isn't because I'll, I'll explain this to my a couple of the guys in discord i'm like yeah i can't sit and relax and watch tv like i get aggravated i have to go do something i have to be working and right. everyone's like oh you're so lucky that you have that mindset i'm like yeah you want to try having a wife uh and <laughs> friends and relationships like it that's yeah. the flip side everyone like you know it's very easy to look at people because especially in in deco we're surrounded i'm surrounded by people who are like me you know work ethic driven um workaholics and it's like people like to go oh that's so easy that's you've got the easy life i'm like yeah you want to try actually having friends and family and like i said a wife where you're not having this horrible relationship where you're working all the time it's really really difficult um yeah and all of this probably been bought like it's not so much been from my family it's just come from like i left college and i was like screw this i'm gonna teach myself but oh while i'm teaching myself i'm still want to sort of play professional rugby and then it was right. like oh actually that needs to pay my bills so i need to get a job okay i'll be a bricklayer because it's flexible um yep. so that meant like i was very efficient with my time it was yeah. kind of also mean i'm kind of hard on my mentees like when or like when i go to do university talks and people say oh i don't have time i'm like ah that's complete bullshit like i'm sorry here's my schedule <laughs> tell me you don't have time like i actually changed my sleeping pattern um to basically allow me to like so i was doing i I did it like a time diary and i was like how am i spend my week and Mm -hmm. i was sleeping for about eight hours a day um and i was like ah that's three hours a day you know that i could that's i could make make that back and get like 20 hours back a week so i basically like trained myself to work myself down to five hours of sleep um and that was just to have more time to like to do work or do because i was like doing gym and stuff like that as well Mm -hmm. um but saying that it was i'm now starting to relax a little bit so i've recently started a bar station um it's five days working from home there's a bit more flexibility obviously deco as well really flexible so i'm like okay i'll give myself six hours sleep now but maybe maybe six and a half um so i'm starting to relax a little bit um yeah but yeah it's just it's amazing it's weird because it is like everyone has their like challenges like you said you have yours you know you said although it's like a blessing it's like a curse in disguise like you know it's totally first world problems like yeah, yeah. like oh i had you know i had parents that gave me everything i wanted it, yeah, it oh, makes boo. you difficult <laughs> later on and same with me like oh yeah i work all the time yeah but it's downside it's like there's ups and downs to everything um of course yeah but people like to only focus on the ups and they forget about everyone has downsides Yes, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, people would say that, like, oh, you know, boo, poor uh, rich white kid. But like, at the same time, that has been a challenge for me because I want to work in this industry and I want to work hard. But then, like, you know, I've never really had a work ethic instilled in me, and you know, because things have been handed to me, I've not had to work hard for them. So, like, even when I went to them do my internship at Axis, like, I felt like I was crawling at like a snail's pace, and everybody was like sprinting past me constantly, and everybody was so professional and so dedicated to the work, and I was sitting like on the laptop, like cool so what do i do now like you know when most people would be hungry to like they would go find things to do i was constantly saying to the guys at the, at the, the office like cool i've done this what do you want me to do now is there something else i should be doing you know what i mean like yeah. as opposed to like most normal people who would be like right well what can i do next what's how can i expand on that task how can i do that to the nth or best of my ability like even the thing i didn't learn for years was like remember alex heath sitting down and talking to him about it and it, like it blew my fucking mind and it was like when you get a job to do Never mind it, but like that's paying your fucking bills. Never mind that that could be an opportunity to get a job or impress somebody. It's like you should be looking at every task you sit down and do to be doing that to the absolute 
best of your ability because you want that to be associated with your name and you want that work to be an example of what you can achieve as a person. But most people just sit down and do a task and it's like, oh, that's good enough. Like for years, it was like, that's good enough. That'll pass. That's like a B, whatever, just fling it in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I never sat and actually thought of the professional mindset of like, right, this is an opportunity. If I do this really well, I can impress people. I could show them that I can take a task and finish it. And you know what I mean? Like that thinking was never in my brain, which I totally fucking hated, but like it was something I had to learn the hard way. And I think it's also a mindset a lot of students have as well is that like, everything they hand in at university it's like that's good enough that'll do like that's eh that'll do like that's that you know that'll pass that's that's what they wanted I've done the bare minimum um do you feel like that's something as well that you come across uh, a lot I flip it I'm far more selfish with it I'm kind of like every task and opportunity is an opportunity to learn it's something for me oh no 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 you like I, I know you're fucking awesome but people come across that and the the issue is um it's mindset it's always mindset it's and people need to like the mindset's all to get the same outcome is to do a good task. Um, but people have trouble. I feel like framing it in a way which works for them. So like I said, for you, it's, it was being framed in a way where you're going to impress people and going to get opportunities because you're going to have good work associated with you. For me, I'm like, I frame it as what do I get out of this? Okay. If I do this, like say for example, I get given a really boring prop to make. I'm like, okay, it's a boring prop and I could just make this boring prop and be done. But I could also stretch my understanding and try new techniques to like, so I can get something out of this boring prop and I'd learn something. And then I get right. amped up to do this well because I'm going to learn something. Now, yeah. the issue is, I say, as this is what I say at the end of all my uni talks, and I think it's, it, it's the big problem people have, mm-hmm. is successful people bargain with the future. Like that's why they're successful. They're willing to sacrifice the now for the future um they're willing to sacrifice that extra hour of work now so the the project at the end looks way better um they're willing to sacrifice that evening in the games so that they have like x amount of hours um top to player because you imagine if there's like two people one is doing their nine to five and you're mm-hmm. doing their nine to five but they're doing an extra two hours every night on that nine to five in a year they're you know two hours times like 365 days in a year you're you're over 700 hours ahead of the other person because they're, right, they're, yeah. they're sacrificing the now for the future um yep and it's hard as well because there's also another thing with and this is a big issue with deco is not ever like this is something my art director my previous job told me is like art's never finished you work art over and over and over and over and keep working into it and keep working into it and keep working into it so although there is too much of the that will do, there is also something to be said for I'm done. This is done. This is achieved my task. Um, right. Yeah. And I did, I've just released a, uh, an article for experience points for my Cerberus scene, which illustrates this like, you know, quite clearly is I set a lot of tasks at the very beginning. I wanted to replicate a piece of concept art. I want to capture the mood. I wanted to make this mm-hmm. particular shader. And then it was like, um, I got to the point where I was finishing and I had a bunch of feedback where people were like, oh, it'd be cool if you like made this basement to it or like, it'd be cool if this, it did this or it'd be cool if it did that. And I'm like, yeah, cool. They are good ideas, but I have my tasks and I pretty much finished them. So I'm going to call this piece done. I could do more of this. I could make this project last me a year, but I'm not. Yes. I've, I've, I've got my stuff and I'm going to say I'm done because I can go through all my pieces. Although I, I, you know, I like all of the art I've produced. Like, I think everyone likes their own art. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I could do more with all of them. I could have learned Houdini into some procedural tech. I could have learned this XYZ to make the scene better. I could have spent more time on particular elements. Yes. But then I never finished projects. And then, you know, yeah. so it's the flip side to that. It's like, there's this nice little middle ground, like of mm. not just saying that will do, because that will do is an awful mindset, but also yeah. not trying to make everything either a hero prop or not making any everything last forever, like have tangible yeah. criteria for test cool. and failure. You know, yeah. um, here's my tasks, X, Y, Z, and this is my failure. And then, you know, your failure is behind you then chasing you and your goal is in front of you. And it's like, it's a really good, healthy mindset to be in. Yeah, I think as long as you feel like you've learned the thing you wanted to set out and learn, then you've accomplished that goal. I think, like you said, there's a difference between that's good enough or like I'm done with this task that definitely like because more more my mindset initially in the in the beginning of my career and, and students I've met is definitely like that's good enough but it's no being like that's done so yeah which is awesome and then like I mean the piece the Cerberus piece was it wasn't one of the first the, the first thing I think I ever saw from you was the safe house yeah. that was like the first thing I saw but then the Cerberus thing was was really awesome also because one of the first people I met um in 2016 was was giles like i've he's like such an awesome dude mm. and like even back then when he was doing his talk at initial workshops it was all about his ip was developing called ashen falls which is like the silent hill sequel that we're all wanting but um like his work i think just inspires you to you know because there's such mood there's such heaviness the atmosphere and the stuff he produces so when you look at his work you're almost tempted to be like i need to make something for this because it just has drawn me in like so much i mean the fact that like his profile picture in our station just now is james from silent hill 2 like speaks volumes but like yeah like his work definitely over the years has been people i know have looked and seen like that's an opportunity for me to make something in 3d that will be tangible because he's always talking about his ash and stuff wishing people would do stuff with that because he was trying to get that off the the floor for so long but like yeah the the Cerberus stuff was was so well done like even just you know looking at that objectively you could almost not tell the difference between that and Gail's work but it was so yeah almost one to one i have i have mixed feelings about it um don't get me wrong i i, I it was fun to work on and like it, it originally came from um you know i wanted to all my previous work i sort of just designed on the fly um i had some initial ideas but a lot of it was designed on the fly and mm-hmm. I, I i i forget who i had this conversation with but basically they're like you realize you know in in triple a you are you get your art director and creative director and a concept artist spend like months, years designing the mood of the scene and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, as an environment artist, you want to get the habit down of being able to capture a mood in 3D space. So that's what it gave me. I was like, okay, I'm gonna stick so religiously to this concept so that it's I am just capturing the essence of the concept in 3D. And if I replicate mm-hmm. that, I'm happy. Like that's all I care about. Now I'm so conflicted because I get comments on it and they're like, love the color palette. I love composition. I love the mood. And I'm like, yeah, I, that isn't me. None of that's me. Like the color palette, the lighting, that's all Giles. uh, Giles, He designed that. He made that. So like, thank you. I'm glad you like it, but he's the the mastermind behind that. I, and I'm conflicted because it's my piece of the most likes. And I'm like, yeah, but, the thing people like isn't me so i'm kind of i'm conflicted on that piece i'm a bit like i f- feel almost like a cop yeah. out but i'm i'm getting credit i don't deserve for that piece um, i mean i think that's where people will see 3d artists environment artists especially because people have even talked to me about this where they want to go in the industry and be a 3d environment artist but feel like 
they'd be stuck creatively because they're just basically fulfilling other people's visions. But then I think there is a, a an expression of of skills where like even you, I mean like your material work is really inspiring. Like that's one of the, the I mean, people probably know you best for and, and like you said, you, you don't want to be defined by I'm a material artist because you're swirling your career. But like that I think is one of the few really creative paths you can have as an environment artist or one of the best forms of self-expression. I don't know if you agree, but um, I'll be honest, I don't um, only because in some studios, yes, you, you are um, hamstrung because at the end of the day you are creating a game and there is a vision and you're executing someone's vision. However, yeah. speaking to so many people, I just, I hear too much where the, the freedom, some people, I'm hearing like horror stories where people are like, oh, I'm just being told to make this really bad concept. I don't agree with professionally and I think it's bad, but mm -hmm. I still want to make it. And I'm like, I, I sympathize with that. But then I hear people right. who are like, oh yeah, I've been given like my freedom to this. I'm just going to build this level. And as long as it's in line with the art director's vision, like I have autonomy mm -hmm. to do what I want. So mm -hmm. it swings and roundabouts. There's good and bad. Like there will be times yeah. where you're doing stuff and you're just like, I don't like what I'm making, but I've got to make it because that's what's needed. And right. there, are, there are there are obviously studios where you have very little autonomy because there is just a task and the task needs doing. But I also hear the flip side where you know Ubisoft's great for this with that because their environment artists are more like world builders, um, and they are given far more autonomy in building these worlds. And you know, as long as it falls in line with the the design and the scope of the game they get yeah. given that autonomy to to design these these spaces so yeah it's i think yeah i think it swings around about we also how you perceive a, a professional mentality because i know recently um i forget the girl's name specifically but there was a, a video just came out about a girl who um had quit her job at disney because of the animation constraints she was under while she was at the studio mm -hmm. like things she thought or the expectations she had for the job didn't meet the reality so therefore she wanted to leave and there's a whole it's like one of the most divisive videos i've ever seen because there's like there's such a divide there's like people who are like i've had similar experiences and you should never stay in a job where you get made to feel like shit which is i'm like i'm totally behind that but also people who are professionals who are like it's a job it's an industry you're there to do work like you know what did she expect so you know, it's also, it's also the mentality I've seen the 50-50 split in students where people are like, oh yeah, we'll get to run about the office all day with Nerf guns and like shoot each other and like, you know, play Call of Duty. But then people are like, well, no, it's a job. You're going there to work from nine o'clock till five and your art director's going to expect to see results at the end of the day. So yeah, I, yeah. Um, this is where me as a person, I, I, I have flaws. I expect people to take things as seriously as i take things and work as hard as i work and that isn't fair yeah. everyone's not the same people have different paces but yeah, yeah. i it, there's a certain level of um and i'm probably gonna get <laughs> some heap of saying this <laughs> i in recruitment and when we in past studios i worked at the majority anyone i hired who had some experience um or like didn't go to university were self-taught mm -hmm. or you know mm -hmm. they've been around a block a bit had no issues with them and yeah. their work ethics you know they they get mm -hmm. it it was university students not all but university mm -hmm. students were the ones who there's like this level of entitlement um there's a level yeah. of hand-holding which could be very frustrating um because it's like oh yeah i know every i know everything you know i've been to university got a degree and i know what i need to do and i'm like yeah no every studio does things differently like you will not find a studio yeah. on a planet where they have the exact same pipeline from A to B because 
games are complicated and there's ways to solve problems which is unique to the studio uh, that's why we're so, yeah. studios are so secretive about how they make shit because they, they have some really clever ways to solve problems yeah um, the whole professional mindset is it's so gray because it's like what's making it's like what's making you feel like shit the fact that you're not making your own thing and your own product the way you're being treated mm-hmm. the fact that you're not given autonomy it's like mm. there's some things that are okay and there's some things that aren't so for me if you're being belittled in your workplace or like you're not being valued and okay actually backtrack if you're being belittled in your workplace mm. it's not okay yeah but i had this come up on twitter or no sorry in discord someone's like oh, i don't feel valued i'm like define being valued what what do you want like you know because what does that mean does that mean you get a pat on the back every time you do something good does it mean you appreciate what does that you know give me some context of what that means to be valued and the dopamine really straight and uh, when i speak to these people it's like oh well i don't know i just i just want to feel that and i'm like exactly you don't know yourself and it's like the clear the, the fact of the matter is if you do really good work you get rewarded mm-hmm. how you get rewarded i don't yeah. know like it changes what's good work in one studio is average work in another there's that in power, right? yeah. there's different bars of quality I mean, the validation really should be coming from within, right? Well, yeah, you should. If you're happy with your... I'm the, I'm the kind of person... I'm very binary. I couldn't give a fuck what everyone thinks about what I do. If someone says, I hate the... You know, I hate you. I hate the fact you copied Garvis' concept. I think you should have done it yourself. I'm like, cool. Appreciate your opinion. I'm sticking to what I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're happy... If you are happy with what you did, mm-hmm. cool. You should always look internally. I, I always say this. You should look internally. Like, if you feel like you're not being validated, Rather than be angry at the studio for the lack of your validation, like look at yourself first. Like, have have I actually done something that deserves to be validated? Like, yeah, that's where I always start. Like, I always look at, and you know, obviously there comes times where like, oh yeah, that guy's chummy with the boss, so therefore he gets lots mm-hmm. of credit and I don't. And I have seen that, um, mm-hmm. but that that's different. That's nothing. That's an external factor taking place. I'm talking about like people who are like, I don't feel validated in my workplace. Like mm. you gotta, so what? Like it's a job. Like what do you want to do? Should you know, to yeah. pat your back every time you do your work? Like you're doing your. That's why personal product, personal projects are really a thing, right? Because yeah. then, if you want to get creatively validated, then that's you do that stuff outside of your work. Well, that's why I've got respect as well for there's like guys like Mike Bithel out there who's like he does want to make his own shit, and mm-hmm. he needs to be like you know he wants to see his vision take you know, take form. Like he just he quit. He makes his own shit. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fine. You know, if you feel that strongly about it, go do it. But don't smack. I, I don't like the ideas. I hate seeing people smack talk universities or like studios for not meeting what they think it should be. Like, yeah. I get very frustrated at that because to me, I said this, and there's someone um, very actively sort of smack talking the universities. And I'm, by the way, I have my beef with unis. However, yeah. when I see people do that, I'm kind of like, it's a reflection on you not your studio, not your university. When I see people do that, I'm like, I have an opinion of you. I don't really care what you're saying about your university. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, because when we were at university, like, as much as I can say they didn't prepare us in certain aspects, like, they'd done what, for the ability for what, you know, the, the materials they had at hand, they'd done the best they could. And then, you know, the guys who got, you know, a class of 30 of us, one guy got a job in Axis, and me, I'm doing some freelance work, you know, from different companies, but then everybody else, is just went back to working, you know, 
in a, a regular job or whatever but yeah like the, the lecture did say is like on day one if you do just your university work and nothing else exactly. you won't get a it's job like i see i, I used so, to think that i used to think oh yeah universities don't prepare the students and then i'm seeing students who did shit their own time and they're, they're thriving now they're really you know making waves in the industry and i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. they it's because they took it upon themselves and did shit their own time like People go, oh, university did prepare. And don't get me wrong, I think university does a bad job on staying up to date because it's hard to get current professionals yes. to quit their professional job to be a lecturer. It's very difficult. Yes, indeed. Um, however, students are like, oh, I didn't get a job because university didn't prep me for it. I'm like, well, what did you do to prep yourself? Like, and that's not, and I come across as harsh, and I've I've had people say to me like, you're not very empathetic, are you? And I'm like, not really, because I've had a tough time getting here, and so's everyone else. Everyone has a tough road why you know what did you expect this to be easy it's the most you kind of make everybody like you though i mean you're always going to even in this industry you're always going to come across people who won't like your attitude or won't like things that you do but then as long as you are like you know like murdering people or like you know assaulting anybody like you know then yeah like you you need to just go on with the, your work and and just do your own thing and and hopefully at the end of the day you know you you attract people who are of the same mindset and that's where you find your kind of niche group or your group but then like i mean you know i'm not saying like it has to be in extremes like yeah sure you shouldn't have to handhold people at the job because you know it's a job and you really should be there to do work but at the same time you also have an understanding that people are new to the industry or just in their first yeah. job so they will be nervous or they will be a wee bit lost so i initially the first couple of weeks you might walk across the desk and be like are you okay are you, are you, do you need any oh, help yeah, for sure. that's anything. like that's being yeah. a, but this, this is what i mean like people just don't apply common sense to the situation like Oh yeah, I don't yeah. feel value because no one said a word to me since I sat at my desk and I've been here for three weeks. I'm like, yeah, obviously that's not good. <laughs> like, really, we have yeah. to. That's a that's a discussion point. Like, that's not good. Yeah, um, but I, again, this comes back to workplaces as well. Like, I feel like the task in workplaces is easy to get caught up in the task of creating the product um and forget yeah. that we are human beings. And again, I hold my hand up. I am really guilty of this. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. why are you not doing the work? Why is the work not good? And it's like, people have shit going on in their lives. Um, yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of admiration for the, there's Clinton Crumpler and there's a guy in our, um, who's another leader, Decagon and Javier. And mm-hmm. seeing how they tackle problems with people, like people mm-hmm. problems, like, you know, oh, someone yeah. was rude or like whatever. And the, their first reaction is to be like, okay. Let's talk to the person, see if it's any, if everything's okay in in their lives. Like, is, is everything good? And I, I was blown away. I saw that, and I was like, wow. My first reaction would have been to just go guns blazing. You know, yeah, arguing. what the fuck's happening? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That's my that's my good reaction to, to things. And I saw them behave like that, and I was just full of admiration. And I was like, this is what I mean. Like, there's swings and roundabouts. People think that you have to be super disagreeable and like um, combative to make to go further in your career. And I'm like, I see guys like Clinton and Javier and I'm like, no, like them being compassionate, understanding they're dealing with people. I was full of admiration. I was like, I need to develop that part of me. And that's something that I'm actively working on, you know, to, to be conscious of. It's, it's the humbleness, right? It's the thing that makes you also, because humble is just being understanding that you're not amazing at everything. Yeah. You don't have everything figured out and there are other people in your world. So like, yeah, like, when you're humble you're more like you know i could blow up at this person but maybe there is a reason i mean like 
you can only do it so often also so again with the balance thing it was like right initially you can be like cool what's happening is there anything can do it help but then yeah, if, if it just goes on and on and on yeah you've got to be like well look this is a business we can't realistically just keep hand holding you the entire time so but then yeah like initially if people are having problems it might be like look i'm really worried about this task or i'm super nervous i'm going to do a bad job and then you can be like oh well cool look we can walk through it we'll be able to review we at certain points then i worry about it so i mean like i think it's just easing that mindset because i have definitely been like way too hard on myself the last you know year and a half looking at like oh if i don't get a job in the next six months i'm going to be a failure or oh, you know like it's just learning to understand that like the world is such a big scary place and like if you're not quite making it that's cool because everybody struggles with it so you're not alone in that fight which is fine because obviously you're talking about like all the mentees you talk to who are like i've left university and i've not got a job in six months you're like well that's unrealistic to start with but then also didn't like kill yourself because then you'll just never make good work because you'll constantly be judging yourself so well you know even that there's a weird thing someone's and i I mentioned this on my i think i mentioned this on my own podcast i mentioned it in the discord um is not having the same expect like you don't live in not living by the expectations of you from six years ago that was something someone said to me like i was basically i was in a conflict i I had an opportunity to go to uh, playground games and then art station came along and our station was an incredible opportunity. I was like, like it was a no-brainer, like, that good an opportunity. And I was still like, mm, do I want to do this? Like, is this I could have the opportunity to work at playground? And I, it, it sat super weird with me. And I was, I was talking to somebody, and like I said, I said on when I spoke to my friends about this, I I don't remember who it was. So I feel terrible. But just being able to let go of the expectations I had as me of a twenty-three-year-old. To me, I'm now 26 and I'm like, okay, I'm okay with who I am today and I'm okay with what I have achieved so far. Let's set new goals. Because for years, it's always AAA, 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 get ship title, get ship title. And I was so tunnel visioned on that, that when great things came up in my life, like, you know, originally with Decagon, I was like, yeah, it's an outsourcing studio. I don't actually work on a product. I was, a, I, I had that in my head. And like, now I'm like, Jesus Christ, I've got a studio. Like I, the podcast I had with Hannah yesterday, I spent a lot mm. of it like just praising what a healthy workplace it is. I'm like, this is a mm. great opportunity. It's super flexible. They're super supportive. I've learned a ton. I've got like art station. I've got a podcast. I'm like, this is good. This is, this is good. Like, why am I getting... Yeah. And it's because I was living to the expectations of me as a 23-year-old of where I should yeah. be by X point. And yeah, or I should be working at Epic Games, or exactly. should be working and here was, or there. It wasn't until yeah. someone said that to me, and I was like, oh, shit, yeah, that's, that, that's really true. And like, I'm so much more, there's like a weight off my shoulders. Like Now I'm kind of just thinking, I'm in a great situation. I've got a lot ahead of me. I've got a lot of development to do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just very, it just hit me like a brick wall and made a big difference it's just like reframing your expectations and not living to past expectations yeah yeah i think it's definitely one where you have to definitely set your own goals of what is success to you um especially when you know i think even for years and years i was like i really really want to work at blizzard and i think that would be a dream for me and everything but then as i've visited other studios and i've met other people from different walks of life i'm like oh yeah that might be interesting or might really enjoy actually working at Riot as opposed to Blizzard. So I mean there's there's definitely expectations where you're like 
what is success to you? I mean, for some people, it's like, I just want to work in America, the biggest studio on earth, and earn like a shit ton of money. Right, fair enough. If that's success to you, then totally fine. Like, go for it. Like, no worries. But then for some people, they're like, if I can just be creative and pay my bills, I'm happy. So, I mean, yeah, you've definitely got to measure like what is success, especially coming to uni. Because if you walk at uni like I did, when you're like, cool, I'm going to work in Blizzard in the next five years, like that's just so unrealistic. Like, you're almost just setting yourself up for failure. Like, I know I was. So, um, yeah, like it's it's definitely a thing where you have to measure your output and be happy about where you are at each point in your career. Yeah, I I have this con- I have this issue. Like, I speak to my wife about this. It's like. There's only one person, there's two people in my life who I'm like obliged, who I have obligations to, myself and her. Um, yeah. I need to make sure I provide and I do my job that we can make, pay our bills and we are happy together. Mm-hmm. And myself, mm-hmm. I'm happy. I have mm-hmm. zero obligations to like, to, it sounds terrible to like say, like Jeremy, who's like helped me so much with the podcast with Dynasty, it's like, mm-hmm. I do what I want to do. And if I'm happy with what I'm doing, that's my marker for success. But so many people get tied up in, oh, yeah, but what if so-and-so doesn't like what I'm doing? What if this? What if my parents think I didn't do good? What if my friends think I didn't make it? What if this person, I don't even give a fuck about their opinion, says a bad thing about me? Like, yeah. it, it's so easy to then just get paralyzed by all that. And I'm like, I just live by, you know, are you happy with what you're doing? No, then fix it. Yes, carry on doing it. Like, and, you know, Charlotte, who's my wife i obviously have um obligations to because you know she's my wife we have a house together mm-hmm. it's yeah i have obligations to her as a partner not if, if career-wise as long as i pay my bills i could quit our station tomorrow and Decker gonna go be a bricklayer again as long as i pay my bills yeah. i'm meeting my obligations but then yes. i have to also be happy this is a really weird thing like and josh hit a nail on the head with this like mm-hmm. your work affects your home life um when I'm really fatigued and tired because I've had like meetings all day or I've had stressful meetings mm-hmm. with Charlotte, I'm, I might be more quiet. I might be a little bit short, you know, uh, less patient. Um, yeah. So there's that as well. There's that obligation that I'm making decisions that make us happy. Um, yes. we had an, I had an opportunity to go to um, CD project red when I was younger in Poland and mm-hmm. she was just 100%. Even though I would have been really, really happy. We, she was like, I don't really want to go, but we'll go. I, I'll follow you. And yeah. I was like, you know what? No, because she don't want to go. And this is a two, we're in this together. Like, yeah, I can't just make decisions that are good for me because then she's sad or like not as happy. And therefore I'm not as happy because our relationship isn't as good. And in my learning course, I really hear about this, that our careers and our lifestyles are mm-hmm. very tough like on family and relationships because right. sometimes you might have to up sticks. You might have to move to different countries. You have to work long hours. You have crunch, you have personal development. Like these things are all things that take time away from your family and from your home. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So people, I think people, there's a bit of transparency there that, or it's not just about the end product of art and what you're doing. It's how it affects your life. Cause it end of the day, this is a job making art is a job yeah. like it's so you can live it's so you can pay your bills and if you can fulfill a little bit of yourself while you're doing it fantastic you know more credit to you but yeah. you still have got the rest of your life to consider and like i said there's something i struggle with um with home life balance because i just want to work all the time and like as much as me and me and charlotte bicker like how about this like you know you work too much and i'm like yeah but we i don't want to just watch tv it's like i'm balanced hmm. to her 
and she's the balance to me. Like we're both opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. She's the one who like, I mean, brings that sort of, you need to just chill for a bit. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll chill. And I'm like, I know I need to work for a bit. And then she's like, okay, yeah. I think it's definitely something you have to take it and say, I mean, like we've all came across it, especially the last three years where, or the last year I was with, I'm with my now current partner, Diane. And, but three years previous to that, I was on my own when I was going through uni. So, you know, when I left, I didn't really have to consider like what my other half was going to think about me moving somewhere or taking a job elsewhere um, or even just, you know, trying to slow down or, or no do work and, and pay attention to them as well. It's like, it's such a, a balance. You've got to really get in control. And I think partners have a way of doing that. That's really interesting. Again, using Raphael as an example, you know, even before he got into like, you know, his major role in Sony and stuff like, you know, he was just constantly, 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 constantly working. And then eventually, you know, he met his, his now wife and they had a kid. So when that all kind of came in and a, a kind of one fell swoop, that was a whole thing where he was like, yeah, I need to try and look at, you know, there's more to life than just working. There also is family. So it's a constant struggle also because this is one of the few industries in the world where like you can't really switch off when you come home at night. Like you're always thinking about the next project, mm. the next piece of software, the next whatever. Whereas, you know, if you're a bricklayer to an extent, you know, you, you can do your job and come yeah. home and then switch off. Like you don't have to think about like what I'm doing the next day or the new bricklaying technique. You know, once you've learned your craft, you're kind of at a point where you can do the job without having to really add any extra learning on. But then with this industry, well, no, that's, that's, you the never between, that's the difference between a career and a job. Um, and yes, careers yeah. are not necessarily a blessing. People all get hung up on careers. I'm like, really? You want to, you want to break it? That's what you do all the time. Um, yeah. And I mean, as well, I'm, I basically, I've been drilling myself with this. That I'm going to grow my face off through my twenties and mm-hmm. reassess my thirties and see where, where I'm at. I've still, like, you right. know, to me, my twenties, I'm still a kid. Like you're, you're, you're still a kid up until like you're at the age of thirty. You're still developing as a person, still trying to find your feet as a person. You know, being, yeah, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you get my point. Like from twenty two, twenty two year me to like now, yeah. I've matured a lot. I've my whole like view outlook on life has changed a lot, and yeah. I know that probably between twenty six and thirty, it's going to change a whole lot more. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like, yeah, I'll grind my face off now, but I know I need to, I can't keep this up my whole life because like family comes into it. Like I said, I mean, we have a dog, but uh, you know, when you get down to like kids, it's like, so this is the big thing for me. It's like kids is when you are no longer priority in your life. Something else takes priority. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I definitely feel like there's a a glass ceiling you can hit where you get to a point where like any more input is just going to burn you out. But like, I do know I do know people still now who are like in their forties and still grinding. I mean, it just I, I think it I think in a sense if you're that way now, you'll always kind of be that way. I don't think it's something you can no, I unlearn. Think I, I think I have a work <laughs> ethic, but I think there's a element of yeah. saying, you know what? I so at the moment I'm doing wait, one, two, sixteen, seventeen hours days of like work. Mm-hmm. That's not including personal projects. I know, I know Charlotte will not be with me in 10 years if I keep doing that. Uh, (laughs) I know I can't, whenever we have kids, I can't be a good father if I'm doing something nowadays. Like, I might still do a lot of hours. I might still do like 10 hours. I might still do 12 hours. But I know I'd need to be back to step. Um, Yeah, definitely. But that means while I'm still in this situation, I'm going to be grinding my face off and keep doing everything I can because, you know, it's not going to last forever. Um, yes. 
And I think people, students especially, mm-hmm. don't appreciate that longevity to their careers. They sort of think, yeah. I need to get it now. And that's like, it's now, now, now. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, your whole te- first 10 years is like, you're still learning. Your second 10 years, yeah. you're like, you know, doing whatever. You're starting to get comfortable. You're finding your feet and actually having a life. So, you know, third 10 years is like, okay, I get to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Um, yeah. People, I keep saying people, it's because <laughs> most of the experience I've met have a pretty firm grasp on this. Um, yeah. Yeah, the long I, I just feel like there's an urgency to when all this the mentees I speak to, I'm like, there's such an urgency, which I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I appreciate it, I love it. I'm like, yeah, get it while it's going good. But yeah. bearing in mind you haven't got to beat yourself up and kill yourself to get somewhere that you'll get there comfortably in three years rather than, you know, burning out after one. Yeah, I definitely feel like um Raphael's hit that sweet spot now and, and Sony where he's still super busy, but like He's not as intense as he was like 10 years ago. So, yeah, he grinded from like, you know, 16 to 30 probably. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he's getting to like take his foot off the gas slightly. And like I say, slightly. So what I was saying about that, you know, the way you'll probably be the same way, you know, years from now, I think that is the case. But then like you said, it's just it's a softer version. Like you still will want to work hard, but then it's not going to be like the now where, you know, you're calculating if you can get four hours of sleep instead of five, like, you know, you know, you're probably not getting any sleep anyway when you have kids, but then at the same time, you know, you'll want to lessen it, but it's still like probably more than somebody would do in their 30s at a job. Like, you know, most people get to their 30s and I understand they're like, all right, well, I'm comfortable where I am. I, I know where I fit in and I don't want to, you know, move outside of my comfort zone too much. But then like, I think the uncomfortableness of parts of the industry is what makes you thrive, right? It's when you're uncomfortable, you feel like you're... Well, you're in the you're zone of, oh God, what's it called? Um, zone of proximal development. That's what, when you say you're right. in the zone, it's when you're learning something new, but you're, you're reaching the sort of, expectations of what you're trying to make so if you're learning a new piece of software and it's actually mm-hmm. working that's when you mm-hmm. feel best you're in the zone and that's the zone of proximal development but yeah i mean it definitely is a, a mindset like you said right something you've got to try and keep with you as you go through um i mean it, it depends on how yeah. you view things like there's something that god he's audacious and a, he's a man of my character but like someone like gary v um i know he's mm-hmm. not oh god yeah it's what he said about legacy and yeah. recently it's probably as i'm speaking as i get like messages people saying hey you know i know you'll, you'll probably resonate with this but it's like the stuff you're doing is really useful to me like it's really helped my you know um well-being my career you're making a big impact on my life all this sort of stuff i'm like it's you're actually leaving a legacy people know you for a really positive thing and not just your art like me as a person is helping people same with you with your podcast like you as a person are helping people and mm-hmm. same for like you know likes of tim simpson where he's doing his youtube content his learning content josh lynch with a mentor coalition you're leaving a real le- yeah jeremy with dynasty you leave a real legacy and people remember you for really good reasons and yeah. i'm thinking you know okay i've been doing this for a year and i'm getting this sort of feedback i'm like if i can scale this and keep being me and keep doing what i'm doing by the time i get to like you know 40 i like to hope i've helped a lot a lot of people um yeah because also like it going back to that sort of the the mindset stuff like 
past mindsets. My mindset at 22 was basically my goal for my 20s is to be a senior artist and spend my 20s being a senior artist. And then my goal for my 30s will be being a lead artist. And then my goal for my 40s will be getting to some sort of director role. Well, that's sort of been thrown up in the air already with like R Station and Deco. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. What are my goals? And like, they were, and I look back and I'm like, they're ridiculous goals. Like, they're such arbitrary nonsense. Like, your value is not based on your title. I know some artists who are mid tier artists, like mid level, who are some of the best <laughs> artists I know. They don't need to yeah. be senior leads or principals to like validate them as an artist. Yeah. So like, that mindset thing, like, I care, I, recently I'm caring a lot more about how I'm impacting people. The art is for me. Like, that's the selfish thing. The art, and actually the podcast is for me. It's for me to grow as a person. Yeah. But whatever I leave behind, like, you know, how the podcasts help people, how um, any learning content I make helps people. Uh-huh. It's f- becoming more and more important to me. And just, hey, my piece got a thousand likes. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think it's definitely one of these things where you have to, again, we talked about it earlier, what is your measurement of success? What is something that you feel is like a milestone that is personal to you and, you know, fills in the blanks of, I want to be X, Y, Z human or do this thing by this time. But then, like you said, you know, you had the expectations of, I want to do this and I want to do this. But now that has changed as the years went on. You've seen it move and and flow. And now you're in a place where, you know, you never thought you would be maybe three years ago, but now three years later, you're happy in that place. So, yeah, I think it's, again, it comes down to personal development and just being happy about, your milestones and 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 setting your own expectations which i think is is admirable for an artist especially when we know how hostile this industry can be i mean like i'm not saying like it's you know we're not trying to paint it as a place where it's, it's a bad place to work but then you know yourself in studios and, and working for leads and art directors it's intense there's a lot to learn it's, it's, quite it's full on yeah yeah full on so but then that's also because of the way like the film industry has changed as well because there's so much emphasis on production now and how quickly they have to turn things over yeah. you know it's it's a thing with games as well i mean you think that five years is a long time to develop a game for a lot of people it's not enough they'd rather have 10 so i mean like you know these things these deadlines that you put in place you know they're all arbitrary to the person that's in the actual you know the the, the situation at the time so i think it's just as long as you have a, a really good mindset and you have a really good attitude and you try to stay as as positive as you can be you know you've got to be smiling all the time but try and at least think about like the good things that are coming to you rather than the bad things then i think i think you'll survive i think you'll do well in the industry and i think you're living proof of that right because you didn't you even go to uni right you just taught yourself so i mean an attitude on a mindset like that and anybody can you know can prove really good to have awesome results so yeah i think you're a good example for most people to to aspire to so yeah (laughs) i'm an asshole when you meet me in real life nah man i'm sure you'll be fine um just quickly before we kind of we zone out um i'm just wondering because maybe it's the lefty in me but how did you feel you grew um by experiencing jordan peterson's work because i've heard recently actually he's not very well he's actually doing really badly yeah Um, uh... people people have mixed opinions about him is what i mean and i just wonder how that grew you as a, a person and an artist he had, he had a big impact on my life um i don't really care for the political stuff um a lot of people who are like ah, oh, he's a transphobic bigger blah 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 insert insult yeah. if you watch any of his content mm-hmm. he is not he's like he 
appreciates, he supports trans communities. He just has a big thing on language because he has such a great understanding of like how um, the Stalinism, Stalinism and like communist Russia came about. Yeah. He has, a, uh-huh. he's a very smart guy. He's in fact, yeah. the stuff he talks about is self-help stuff. Like people who slam him, I'm like, you're slamming someone trying to do like self-help. The stuff we take, big responsibility. Yeah. The biggest thing he said, and it's something that I've lived by, was the, the in his book, 12 Walls for Life, there's one which is, be the reliable one at your father's funeral. And mm. I'm like, that for me is so important. Be the reliable one when it's a fire. Like, you know, we've had some tragedy in our life. Uh, and mm-hmm. To me, it was the most important thing was to be there for everyone else. And by me being there for everyone else, everyone else's experience is a little bit more bearable. Um, yeah. He helped me understand, like, for a long time, I thought it was an issue in my mindset and the way I was. And then he, uh-huh. I watched his le- his U- Toronto lectures on uh-huh. um, the conscientious mentality and, like, big five traits. And I was like, okay, I actually understand myself a little bit more. He thinks, yeah. like, his, a lot of the understanding of how I conduct the podcast came from the, his, the way he talks about conversations and thinking and talking. Like, uh-huh. it helped me just round out my thinking as a person and i don't agree with everything he says there's some things I'm, i don't stand on you know his he, yeah it, it's also how he rationalizes things like you know he talked because it, it affect he talked about like religion and mm-hmm. at first i was like ah, oh, i don't care for his religious talks and i listened to his religious talks and actually they're just explaining stories that's all they're doing mm-hmm. he doesn't bible yeah. preach he isn't that type of religious person he just sees the value in the metaphors and the stories in religious texts and he, he abstracts them and explains them in real world um scenarios yeah um and also he explained a lot of he helped me understand the way people behave in social media he had he did a, a talk where he was talking about um why he doesn't like to say he believes in god you know about mm. um you know there's something about it where it's kind of it's saying you're a good person because if you believe in God, you believe someone's watching you all the time, which means you are acting in a forthright manner the whole way through. Like this, right. and there's a verse in there which he mentions, which Jesus says, um, "Don't call me good. The only person who's good is God." And about you know not praying in public. Mm. So, and he linked all of that back to like the way people behave in the social uh, sphere. You know, they like to tell everyone they're a good person, like to say all the good things they do, more from the sort of um, the social side, the socialism side, there's yeah. that aspect. And he didn't particularly like it because he drew the comparison back to religious um, messages like, you know, don't pray in public. It's a very private thing. Yeah. It's about you and what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when someone gives change to a homeless person, but then they take a photo of them doing it. And you know, oh, you're, not, yeah. you're not giving change because you want to give change. You want to do it for the admiration. You're not a good person. Yeah. You're just doing it for the yeah. likes. Um, yeah. There's a lot of that sort of stuff. He helped me sort of just wrap my head around a bit. Um, yeah, I give very. I, I I was quite disheartened when I heard because he's not very well. He his uh, his wife um, had a very serious condition, um, uh-huh. and he was on antidepressants. And then he got addicted. He then uh-huh. checked it, and I I mean I still think this is an admirable admirable thing. He checked himself into rehab because he couldn't. He knew it was an issue, and he has all his autoimmune conditions. But then right. I hear like people say very, very just awful things on social media. And I'm like, you're the people who claim yeah. to be the good people. This is what I get. I'm like, you're the ones who claim to be the left, sort of the lefty, good person, mm-hmm. caring. And you're saying some horrific things on social media. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, 
Yeah, I definitely felt like when I went through uni and interacted with a younger generation and people who were, you know, just coming up and, and, and different from my age. And, and I think people can take, it's more like there's no, it's one or zero now. Like yeah. there's such extreme, views. you're either left or right. Right. But then I think as I've got older and only to different parts of the world is that you can take different things from different walks of life, but then also inform your own opinions. Because I mean, was in a journalist that I really respected years ago, uh, to, um, Jeremy Enson, and he was talking about, you know, when he went to interview like murderers and serial rapists and child killers and, you know, Nazi sympathizers, it was like people would automatically write them off and say these people are like the scum of the earth and they're terrible people and blah, blah. I mean, like, obviously they are, they've committed these crimes, whatever. But then he was like, when you still sit down and interview them and talk to them, you can start to understand, like, okay, I know you're a horrible person, but now I kind of understand why you're horrible. So it's like, you know, people are, are people by their good, but then I think like to be so extreme sometimes is almost inherent, I think also through social media where, you know, I've seen Jordan Peterson talk at some places where he's burst into tears and he's talked about like, look, I just want to help people. I just want yeah. the world to be a brighter before I leave it. And that's all my mission is. And then, but people like you say, now he's sick or like screaming like, oh, you know, I hope you die, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff where it's like, even though Jordan Peterson member isn't someone you agree with, you can still have compassion for him as a human being. Yeah, you know I mean, it's the the thing is, is that well, you're right. It's always zero and one. There's no gray in between, which is a shame because like the whole point is, like I said, I don't agree with everything Gary V says. I don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson says. It's about inferring ideas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. applying them to your life. But yeah, whenever I hear anyone, if I ever bring him up and people go, oh, he's transphobic, blah, 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 I put all the insults in. I'm like, we haven't watched his content, so I don't really value your opinion because I've watched nearly all his stuff. Is Like I said, I whenever I'm working, I tend to have talks on. I'm like, you're mm-hmm. not listening to what he's saying and you've made your mind up before you've even listened. Um, yeah. And he like the big thing he says is he goes, he's got over like 800 hours of content on YouTube and there's no one's found mm-hmm. one smoking gun next to him. Like he's never said yeah. anything particularly bad. Yeah, people label yeah. it, label him as such. But the thing about the um the whole like you know people who interview serial killers and all that kind of stuff, and it's something that it, he's actually the one who introduced me to um psychoanalytic thinking, like Jung and Nietzsche. And Nietzsche said there's like a phrase uh, when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. And it's all based yeah. around the fact that like everyone thinks there'd be a good the person to save Anne Frank in Nazi Germany. It's actually mm. the more you look into it and the more you observe it is that actually you'd probably be one of the you'll be part of the, the Nazi Germany you know it's a very special yeah. person who went against the national culture at- yeah because back then like the Nazi party were in, you know in charge of Germany they were pushing the whole objective and they were talking about people in a certain way so like yet to stand amongst the quo and then say like no I'm going to defy that is something that's very rare it's no like the common thing yeah because right? the, the idea the, what um P- Pearson linked it back to it he went to a prison and he was um he tells a small story where he's basically they're all monsters they're all what you expect like big burly scary guys and he's he mm-hmm. met a guy in there basically the psychologist who took him there um left him for some reason and he left with mm-hmm. a small guy innocuous um actually got on with him really well um and jordan thought this was odd like i this guy i can imagine socializing with i can imagine he's not that different to me and when he left um the psychiatrist said oh by the way that guy you're talking pulverized like his wife's knees and killed her and they killed like four police officers as well and that's what it struck jordan there was like this guy who i thought was not that dissimilar to me 
can do mm. this. It's like, okay, that shows that you have a shadow in it. And that's when it leads into all of the um the Jungian psychology, you know, the ego, the persona and the shadow. Yeah. But all of that sort of stuff is really interesting. And that's what actually in my late the scene I'm planning right now, I want to have a big visual metaphor for Jungian psychology and some of Nietzsche's ideas. Um, yeah i mean like even when people talk about like environment as a thing that like defines you it doesn't always i mean like there's a a rapper i really love just now called logic and um logic oh mate like uh recently like i've I've actually just discovered he'd done a a track with wu-tang so if i don't repeat in the car all day but um but yeah like when he talks about like you know the stigma he's had for years because people see him as white but he has a black father and he grew up in a in a place where you know there was domestic abuse, there was drugs, there was police constantly, and but then to think you look at his personality, like he's a geek, he's a gamer, he's kind of like an introvert in some respects, but now isn't, and you know he's led such a good productive life, he's done so much with his music, he's so hardworking, so like you know being where you are doesn't always define you but i mean there are some people who just cannot escape those traps like you know the guy who murdered his wife you know obviously done something horrible but then you know maybe he was abused as a kid or maybe he grew up in a household where he was never appreciated so you know i think it's just being able to look past it's the humbleness right everything comes back to humbleness and then looking at other people unobjectively and thinking well how has your life impacted you why are you like this is there something you can do to help it comes back to as well what jordan's saying where it's like you know it's taking responsibility like so it's that no Gary V said he's like oh yeah you might have been born like you know in a nationality where you've got not a lot of privileges you might be in a workplace where they're sexist or racist or homophobic the market Mm. don't care and that's the the awful truth of it is that no one cares you take responsibility for your situation and you make the best of a bad situation I've there's a few artists I know who've come through very what's the word trying pathways I've had a relatively smooth ride like you know, I even though there's been a few hiccups here and there, it's relatively smooth compared to some of the stories I've heard. And I'm like, yeah, they took responsibility in that situation, even though they're in a bad situation. And by all accounts, they had every right to bitch and moan. They took it upon yeah. themselves to make the best of a bad situation and get themselves out of it because they took responsibility for the situation. Uh, yes, that's where you yeah. live and die by. The, the people who are successful are able to take responsibility and get themselves out of there. And the people who yeah. don't, you know, they well it's the mindset it's it's the mindset like you said i mean i remember someone ages ago one of the guys actually who ended up getting access casia he was told me a story about you know i think it was an old chinese tale where there was two guys who basically grew up with rich parents and then the kind of fast forward and the end of the story is that you know one of them ends up as like a kind of drug dealer and and a life of crime and with gangsters the other one takes over the parents business and becomes super successful and rich and then you know one of them gets the bad guy gets put in jail and then eventually they're both interviewed and you know they say to them how did you end up here and the rich guy says oh with parents like this how could i how could i not be like this and then the guy who's in the jail also says the same thing so it's like you know they both could have went either way but then you know it's, it comes down to the individual person it comes down to the person who sat there if they're going to take responsibilities they can either be the guy in the jail cell well, or they can be the guy that's running the company but then it's up to them to also take that responsibility that comes back to the so this is what's funny like you can see that as an archetypal story to um cain and abel you know cain yes. did not make the, the right sacrifices when they told her the wrong sacrifices he was resentful whereas abel who made the right sacrifices and you know did everything right you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's an archetypal story of taking mm-hmm. responsibility and also Cain uh, kills his brother and God condemns him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's kind of like, okay, you may not buy religion, 
but there's still an mm-hmm. archetypal story that is still relevant to now. Like I said, that that Chinese story plays exactly the same. You go like it's Cain and Abel being retold in modern skin. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's where the issue. That's that's why I think I appreciate Jordan Peterson so much. Is that I don't buy any of the religious text. I'm not a religious person. I'm an atheist, and right. I found it useful to see somebody add some rationale into uh-huh. the stories to someone who you know does not buy it one bit it's all stories that's what it is to me yeah i think it's just the way how life can sometimes turn around for people depending on how you look at it but then like i think about this story that was like told to me like years and years and years ago but it still gives me chills when i talk about it where when leonardo uh da vinci painted the the last supper when he painted the painting initially the first person he painted was jesus so he found this really uh, kind of model at the time where you know the guy had long flowing blonde hair and pale skin and this beard and stuff, and it was really beautiful. And then uh, painted him in the first part, and then it took him, I think it was like you know five or six years later, he finished it, and the last person he painted was Judas. So he went to find a person who was like you know in a jail cell, a really roughed up guy with terrible hair and you know terrible skin and was covered in dirt, and he found a guy in a local jail cell and got him to kind of pose for the last bit and painting Judas. And then the guy said to him, he says, uh, Mr. Da Vinci, uh, do you not recognize me? And he's like, no. He says, oh, I'm such and such. I'm the guy five years ago who posed to be painted as Jesus. <laughs> so he's like, you know, life takes such a weird turn sometimes that you can never predict it. But I think as long as you try and constantly look about your assessment and situation and think about what's the best path to take you know sometimes you can deter down a dark path where you know something happens and you just completely go off the rails but i think more now than ever in this day and age you really need to try and think about staying as positive as you possibly can not over positive to the point where you know like you're just denying reality of course there is horrible things that happen in the world but then no letting that darkness consume you and trying to stay as best you can above water for most of the time um I mean, that's just my take on it. I mean, I may be wrong, I may be right, but I, I don't know. What do you think? I think it's like I said, it's it's just these archetypal stories. It's all, but mm-hmm. this is why I like them. This is why archetypes exist. This is why movies yeah. are based on them because you keep coming back to that the initial message you can't re argue mm-hmm. with, you can't distill it down anymore, interpret any simpler than that. Yeah, um, yep, but yeah. No, I think, it, like I said, yeah, it's this is the whole point of archetypal stories. They're 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 a thing that's cross cultural. They transcend generations. Mm-hmm. They transcend cultures and race and religion. Yeah, they work it. They work everywhere. That's why they're archetypes. Right. The hero's journey. It's never really changed. It's just always been retold with different people. I do so. love. I have made a. I've started getting into watching movies and uh, like working out what the archetypes are like so the easy one is a hobbit you know the the bilbo being too attached to his persona he's in his dopey little village he needs to he gets told he's going to be a thief and he's super against it he's like that's awful and across his journey getting out of his known world and going into the unknown yeah he descends into chaos Mm -hmm. chaos is the unknown and then like Mm -hmm. he has to you know integrate his shadow to become the better mm-hmm. version of him then he goes back to his yeah. old world and he's a new mm-hmm. better version of himself it's like yeah the hero returns. exactly like watching films and trying to figure out where the sort of underlying archetypes are is super interesting because nearly every director does it yes yeah but again i think that's why mike done all these talks on james cameron because 
he's probably one of the few masters in the world that's you know definitely right. honed that down. Chris yeah, Nolan, our... Chris Nolan for me right now, like. Chris as well, yeah. Chris is oh my god, yeah. The whole Dark Knight trilogy was just, I mean, one. I mean, apart from that, obviously he's done Interstellar, he's done many other great things, but like, um, yeah, like the Dark Knight trilogy for me was was one of his. Um, he didn't get a credit for uh, Shutter Island. He was the creative producer behind Shutter Island. Uh, oh really? Yeah, oh, like because okay. all most Liongate studio films, he has a hand in, mm-hmm. and yeah, wow. Shutter Island is still probably my favorite movie. That's an interesting, yeah. Again, for people who haven't watched it, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, the the ending and the whole kind of mm. thing that the way it kind of, yeah, it's it's definitely, yeah. I think because like you can see, you can even see remnants of like his, his storytelling or things he done then to help the film production that then you know leaked into his future projects or things he done on the side. So, um, yeah, like it's really really interesting. But anyway, but I'd better let you go anyway, that's because I know you've got things to do and people to talk to that are more important than you. So. Um, <laughs> I'll let, I'll let you go but just quickly so people because we never really walked through it but then I, I wanted people kind of find it for their own but um, where can people find you um, what are you doing currently um, yeah. link wise um, so you can find me on LinkedIn um, Twitter better at better design art section mm-hmm. if you want to hit me up I'm at really active in the experience points on the uh, dynasty discords if you have any questions you can contact me on there yeah, right now, mm-hmm. leader uh, recently made full. I was originally associate leader. I'm now a leader at um, Decagon, and I'm working at our station, uh, curating and finding content for the 3D learning, while helping design mm-hmm. features and uh, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna get in contact or keep up with, obviously, I'm doing a podcast as well, Game Devolution mm-hmm. Podcasts. Yeah, Twitter is one of the podcasts. Mm-hmm grand okay well just want to say thanks for alex for giving up his time for coming on it was awesome and yeah you got any comments or suggestions hit them down in the comments below um check us out on youtube uh spotify podcast services around the world and let me know if there's another guest you want me to speak to uh until then thanks again to alex thanks again to you guys listening and uh we'll see you guys later bye